there is a massive public health problem that a lot of us just don't talk about. But it's getting worse and worse. And individuals who suffer from it are likely to have shortened lifespans on par with smoking 15 cigarettes per day. This is what we're focusing on today. Today, we're talking about loneliness, and specifically the new report from the U.S. Surgeon General that finally declares an epidemic when it comes to loneliness and isolation. Social connection is a passion of mine, and I've talked about it here before, but today we're diving deep with this new report and how it can affect your life. This one's important. Today on Baggage Check. Welcome. I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this is Baggage Check, mental health talk and advice, with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Baggage Check is not a show about luggage or travel. Incidentally, it's also not a show about caring for your ZZ plant. All right, let's get to it. You know you are a bit of a healthcare psychology nerd when you feel like a report comes out from the U.S. Surgeon General and it's like Christmas. That's actually pretty strange for me to say, even by my standards. The topic of this report is not a happy one, but a lot of us in the field have been waiting for the U.S. to do something official. Our Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, is an expert in loneliness, and he's done so much to raise awareness of the decline in social connection and the impacts on our mental and physical health that it has. But now we've got the full weight of the U.S. Surgeon General's office putting out a report that came out just a couple of weeks ago. And yes, I have finally gotten completely through it. It is final exam period, folks. That is almost as chaotic a time for professors as it might be for students at times. But I'm really, really pleased with the report. There is so much here. It's really thorough about the research of why social connection matters, what the trends have been, how it's declining, why it's declining, what we can do on an individual level, what we can do on a policy level for various people in various fields. And so what I wanted to do today is tie it all together and put it in real, no-nonsense terms for us to be able to think about in our own lives. I know you've heard me talk about social connection before. Again, it's been an academic and clinical passion of mine since I wrote that book with the hot pink cover more than a decade ago. But with such a momentous occasion in terms of this report and actually using the word epidemic, which some other countries had used years ago to describe loneliness and social isolation, we are ready to dig into the nitty gritty. Now, I promise not to get either policy wonky on you or peer-reviewed journal wonky on you. We're going to go over some of the highlights of this report and, most crucially, help make the case why this very day, this very week, it could really give you a potential health boost if you started focusing on ways to increase your social connection. So first, let's talk about what is being lonely. What is loneliness? Because a lot of what we're going to talk about today, it's very important to distinguish loneliness from social isolation. They both might have impacts, but not everybody who is lonely is socially isolated. And not everybody who is socially isolated is lonely. Loneliness 
as it's defined in this report and as clinicians have been defining it for years, it is that subjective experience of the person. So loneliness is the sense that the person themselves has. This is not somebody else saying, you must be lonely. This is their own perception of not only being isolated, but maybe more importantly, not having meaningful connections. People can feel lonely when they have a ton of superficial connections or even close friends. People can be lonely at their own birthday party. It feels like there's a gap between what they need and what they're getting, that they'd actually prefer to have more meaningful connections, more nourishing connections. That's how we're defining loneliness. It's really important that we establish that there is no one size fits all in terms of what people need social connection wise. I always like to liken it to plants. You might have a ton of different varieties of plants that need a variety of amounts of sunlight. Some plants are full sun. Some plants can exist in mostly the shade. If you think of the sun as social connection, humans are the same way. It's not that everybody needs the same exact amount of social connection or the same amount of friends or the same amount of hours with friends or the same amount of close family members or the same living arrangement. It's whether or not what they are getting actually meets those needs that they individually have. So when we talk about social isolation as a term, we're defining that as having just quantitatively fewer social relationships. So this is not as subjective or emotional as loneliness. It's about your actual connection in terms of group memberships, how often you interact and how long you interact, what your roles are in the community. When we say social isolation, we're saying objectively, there are not those connections that you are disconnected. We're talking about your perception of how much you are supported. And also, it's probably the actual objective support that you receive as well. What emotional resources do you get from friends? Your actual social network, and I mean social network, not in the 2012 way of thinking about Facebook, but social network in terms of your actual ties within your community. So why does social connection matter? Again, I've been trying to drive this point home for a long time. I've probably even used the 15 cigarettes a day statistic multiple times on here to the point where maybe it makes you crave a cigarette, but it's true. There's a ton of longitudinal, so long-term studies that follow people over time that indicate that social connection matters immensely for health, that it's a predictor of longevity, that if you are isolated and lonely, you're less likely to live as long of a life, you're more likely to have health problems, heart problems, chronic illness, then when we take all that into account, lacking social connection increases the risk for premature death as much as 15 cigarettes a day being smoked. So when you add in loneliness, we're talking about premature death risk rising by more than 25%, closer to 30%. You've got an almost 30% increased risk of heart disease, higher risk of stroke, there's increased risk of mental health disorders like anxiety and depression, there's a heavily increased risk of dementia or neurocognitive disorders. When there is social isolation, we are likely much more vulnerable to viruses and respiratory illnesses when we have low amounts of social connection. 
Of course, the governmental report also focuses a lot on the economic impacts of this. There are health care costs of all of this. There's extra Medicare spending. People not showing up for work costs employers a ton of money. So they're really making the case that social connection should be viewed as a fundamental biological need. The same way that we would view food or water, or in that hot pink book of mine, I think the last line (laughs) compares it to flossing. It's a physical health necessity. Now, here's the thing. In the United States, about half of adults report experiencing loneliness. And this is particularly true in young adults, which is particularly concerning because loneliness rates have been going up. And in fact, as the Surgeon General's report points out, loneliness has a higher prevalence than smoking, diabetes, and obesity. But here's the thing. Less than a fifth of people who said that they are often or always lonely actually recognize it as a significant problem. So here's why I'm talking to you about this today, because we have to spread awareness. And this lends real urgency to this problem. The report lays out three components of social connection. There's the structure of social connection. So that's the number of relationships you have, the variety of them. Are they neighbors? Are they coworkers? Are they friends? Are they family? And how often you see these people. There's the function of the social connection. Can you rely on these people for various needs, emotional needs, physical needs? And there's the quality of social connection. Are they positive? Are they helpful? Are they satisfying? So you might have different relationships that have various aspects of this going on. You might have a coworker you see all the time, but you don't really rely on for any emotional needs. You might have a best friend that you only talk to once a week, but they are there for you in your darkest hour. You might have some relationships or interactions that feel really, really positive, even though they're not the ones that you're going to call to come water your plants while you're on vacation. But anyway, these three components can influence health in different ways. And that's because they can meet different needs, right? Being able to have support in a crisis versus being able to have a large sense of community versus getting intellectual stimulation or marital satisfaction or emotional support or logistical support. The lasagna brigade that shows up and brings you dinner when you're going through something difficult Those all can influence our health in different ways. And it's important to recognize that all of this is on a continuum, right? It's not you have this or you don't. Every one of us has different levels of this, but it's clear that most of us could use some improvement. And the problem with social connection in this current state in the United States is that trust in each other is declining. The Surgeon General's report states that in 1972, about 45% of Americans felt they could reliably trust other Americans. By 2016, that number was 30%. Honestly, since 2016, I want that data because it's probably plummeted. It's probably like looking at a cliff dive in terms of that number, in terms of trust. But what this means is that that's part of what's driving our isolation is fear of other people and imagining that they're not worthy of our trust and that they wouldn't help us and that maybe there's no need to be connected. But speaking of graphs and charts, the report has some really, really stark numbers of changes that have happened just in the past 20 years. 
So just since like 2003, I mean, the Kardashians were already on the scene then, right? This is not a particularly long period of time. Time spent socially engaging with friends over the course of a month has decreased 20 hours compared to 2003, from 60 hours now to 20. That is stark. There are similar trends downward in terms of time that we spend with our own household family members. Now, there was probably a blip on the screen during quarantine of the pandemic, but in general, we're not even engaging with our family members as much. You can imagine people retreating to their own spaces with their own devices. And as of 2018, only 16% of Americans said that they felt very attached to their local community. So clearly, we're getting more detached from our neighbors, more isolated. There's less institutional participation. Church attendance is down. And honestly, let's be clear, some of what's been going on in certain churches is more dividing and isolation and fear-based types of messaging. Certain religious messaging has become about judgment and exclusion, the exact opposite of what you would hope faith-based communities would bring. So there are all kinds of factors that go into social isolation, including ones that we haven't touched on, like physical health. Obviously, if your mobility is down, if you're suffering from infection, if you're worried about your autoimmune condition and exposure to COVID, this is going to be much more likely to have to keep you home. Different life stages, people that might have felt really connected when their kids were in school and now they don't see those friends anymore because their kids are grown and have left the house. People who retire, people who divorce, people who undergo life transitions, oftentimes that can shift you from being socially connected to socially isolated. How well your community creates gathering places and social spaces and outdoor places, whether you have access to transportation whether you're getting adequate health care or your basic safety needs are taken care of. This all comes into play when we think about the barriers to actually feeling socially connected. And the beauty of the Surgeon General's report, of course, is that there are policy suggestions across the board, not just what we can do individually, but people who are listening, who are in academia, who are in public health, who are in health care, who are in government, who are in civic organizations, can all play a role. And of course, parents can do something as well. And I'll touch on that in a moment. But I wanted to emphasize that the rate of loneliness among young adults has increased every single year between 1976 and 2019. Those aren't blips on the screen. Those aren't things that temporarily go up or down. This is an extremely concerning trend. And there is some correlation with loneliness and excessive use of technology. People who reported being on social media in the United States for more than two hours a day were twice as likely to report feeling socially isolated. There's probably a lot of things that go into that, like fear of missing out. Look at what everybody else on Instagram is doing. They're having more fun than I am. Why wasn't I invited to that party? Look at that vacation. My life doesn't measure up. And also the fact that time scrolling takes away from real time spent interconnected in meaningful ways. There's no doubt it does. And I'm not saying all scrolling is disconnecting automatically, but I'm saying a lot of it is. And past a couple of hours a day, 
is that truly nourishing? And that's what you can do is you can ask yourself, when do I feel most connected and when do I not? What do I notice about when I'm on social media? What do I notice about when I'm at work or when I just try to chit chat with the cashier at Target? How do I feel more connected? How do I feel when I take the initiative? What are the barriers for me getting together with friends and how can I start to overcome them? Who do I consider my friends? Do I need to meet new friends? Do I need to build the friendships I already have? Do I need to get rid of some of the toxic relationships I have? This is all food for thought. So going back to all those ways that loneliness can really wreak havoc on your physical health, some people might be asking, why? How? That doesn't sound right. How can being lonely possibly be as bad for me as smoking from a physical health standpoint? Well, there's all kinds of data on this. First of all, we know that levels of your stress hormones, that inflammatory processes, that the ways that genes are expressed are all affected by the stress response. And so it stands to reason that the stress of loneliness impedes all of that. Of course, loneliness also denies you the opportunity to get the benefits from social connection. There are immune system implications of actually being around other people. There are stress management implications. There are health behaviors that can spread more positively. When that friend says, hey, you should get that mole checked out. You might be motivated to set goals with other friends. There's intellectual connection that happens. Increased curiosity, increased perspective taking, having compassion for people that you're connected with and helping them lowers your stress response and gives you a mood boost. Friends can affect our behaviors in positive or negative ways, but the really good relationships with good people might make us more motivated to eat better or to go on those walks together to get more physical activity. Again, there's biological processes, there's lifestyle factors, they're all affected by the social connections that we have. Just inflammation alone, that's been linked to so many illnesses, heart problems, cancer, diabetes, depression, Alzheimer's. So when we think about that stress response and how loneliness really increases that stress response, this is where a lot of the effects come from. And of course, the mind and body, they're never fully separated. The brain is part of the body. The body includes your brain. We know that neurotransmitter activity also happens in your gut microbiome, right? Serotonin is synthesized in your intestine in greater amounts than in your brain. So that's why, of course, all the gut bacteria that I like going on tangents about becomes important. Eat your kimchi, folks. Drink your kefir. Go for that sauerkraut. So as I wrap up, I wanted to have something of a call to action. That's what I'm supposed to be doing when I ask you all to subscribe to this podcast, which, of course, I think I've done once in like 60 episodes. But I want to speak to parents and caregivers just for a moment, because I know I have a lot of listeners who are parents and caregivers. Really encourage social relationships in your children. Talk about them. Be attentive to how your kid spends time online. Identify the ways that they might be lonely. Destigmatize talking about loneliness. View social connection as a positive thing, meaningful, nourishing social connection. Model healthy social connection for your kids. Let them see you go to that book club, that brunch, that happy hour, that gym, that walking group, that beer tasting. It's a wonderful thing for them to see that you're not just a parent, that you also are a friend, and that friendship is important. I think we lose sight of this a lot. 
we assume that our kids will just fall into friendships and then we're on the alert for warning signs that their friends aren't good for them, but we don't really encourage the actual positivity and talk about what a good friendship is and the benefits that it can bring. So I think it's really important to do that. Those of you who run workplaces or have some role in management or HR within your organizations, I could devote a whole nother few episodes on workplace relationships, and I do a lot of speaking about them because some of the same benefits apply completely at work. People are afraid of encouraging social relationships among their coworkers. In reality, that's one of the main reasons that we stay engaged and productive at our jobs, and it's going to make us less likely to quit and more likely to do our best work. Finally, I want to talk just about the notion of meaning, because we've talked about the more quantifiable health benefits, rates of loneliness, all of that. What I think it's important to recognize is that there's something that's more profound about social connection, and it probably ties in immensely to the health benefits, and that is being connected with a sense of meaning and purpose. A lot of us, when we have nourishing relationships and we feel satisfied by them, that's what our life is all about. They give us a sense of something bigger than ourselves. They bring us joy. They give us a reason to look forward to Friday or to wake up in the morning. That sense of meaning and purpose we've talked about on this show quite a bit, that's a deep part of well-being. Besides just feeling pleasure or joy or happiness per se on the superficial level, that feeling connected and feeling like there's something deeper and that your life has value for specific reasons. A lot of that can be intricately tied to social connection. So for those of you listening who recognize that you are lonely, I would encourage you to start small. We've talked about building new friendships. Even recently, we had a show on that just a week or two ago. I've tried to emphasize friendship a lot in this show. And of course, when we talk about social connection, it's not just friendship. It's also some of those quote unquote weak ties that matter to us. The person who handles our mail at the post office when we go in, the neighbor down the street that we can never remember their first name, but we like waving to them in the afternoon. That is important too. As our positive relationships with our family members, I now have the official indisputable report from the U.S. Surgeon General that this stuff is about health. So please think about giving yourself permission to ask yourself the questions of what you could seek out, where things could improve, if you're not feeling satisfied by your relationships, how you can allow yourself to make changes and maybe get support in doing so. Because this is one of the most crucial and I'd say most fun health interventions that you can do for yourself. So if it's not been enough to have me nagging you about it, now the Surgeon General is doing it too. Thanks for joining me today. Once again, I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this has been Baggage Check with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Join us on Instagram at Baggage Check Podcast. Give us your take and opinions on topics and guests. And you know you've got that friend who listens to like 17 podcasts. We'd love it if you told them where to find us. Our original music is by Jordan Cooper, cover art by Daniel Merity, and my studio security, it's Buster the Dog. Until next time, take good care.